0: You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network.
1: Welcome to Band Geek. I'm Richie Castellano. Joining me today uh, is Andy Escalise, playing multiple instruments. My lovely wife, Anne-Marie Castellano, on the bass guitar.
2: And And the choker. And
1: And the choker, choker. yes, (laughs) and (laughs) And vocals. The always enchanting Brandy Metaxas. Oh, thank you. Thank
2: you. Brandy!
3: And
1: And we have a, a very, very special guest that a lot of you have been asking for, and, and we, made it, we made it happen for you, because here at Band Geek, we make dreams come true. <laughs> um, joining us today, uh, he needs no introduction, Mr. Albert Bouchard. Hey! Thank you, thank you. But you know what, my job as a host is I have to introduce you, so I guess I have to do that. Yeah, you have to do that. Albert, Albert Bouchard is a founding member, Correct. Of yep, Blue Oyster yep, Cult, yep. Uh, songwriter on a lot of your favorite Blue Oyster Cult songs. That for people listening, and um, then you, you went on to do your own thing, your own bands. You yep. have a uh, Blue Coop, mm-hmm. and um, you ha- host your own radio show, right? Yep, yep. Um, where can people listen to that?
4: It's wfku org. Okay, it's uh, every uh, third Tuesday night. Ah, so it's a week from tonight. Oh nice. Very yeah. cool. But it's every that thir- th- I only do once a month, so I'm only on a, like a show number 57.
1: So <laughs> what do you talk about on your show?
4: Um just the music that I'm playing mostly. You know, I tell stories about like like this week's theme is going to be when I came to New York City from um from upstate New York. Ah. And, uh and uh in that first year that I was here, I uh got to either play with us, my idols or meet them or, you know, so I'm going to play all the people that I met in in chronological order.
3: Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That's awesome.
4: So I start with Little Richard and uh, with, jeez, uh, I don't know.
1: Little, Little Richard's one of my favorites. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. We should play some Little Richard. But first, I'm, I'm not done with the, uh, oh yeah, uh, his mic got very loud. Yeah, uh, you, it was very loud. Oh, you're, yeah. Okay. He's gaining Because when I sing, I, I yell. Aha. <laughs> Um, And so for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure everybody who listens knows, uh, Albert is the original drummer of Blue Oyster Cult, but he's also a multi-instrumentalist. Now, I've seen you play guitar. Um, I Mm -hmm. I know you probably play bass. Yeah. I mean, what else do you play?
4: I play piano. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, not well, but, you know. Better than my students. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. If you're just a little Most better than them, <laughs> I've had one kid came in. He was like, "I'm working on this rock, mountain piece." I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> okay, well, you can teach me
1: something. My grandfather always used to say, "You got to be one page ahead of the students in the book." <laughs> yeah, as long as you're it. one page yeah. ahead of them, you're okay. You can teach. <laughs> um, and now you're a like you said, you mentioned you're a teacher. Yeah. And how long yeah. have you been teaching? I've been well,
4: I've been in this school for thirty years. Uh, I actually did a, there was another music teacher, so I wasn't allowed to teach music mm-hmm. officially.
1: Oh, really? So what did you teach?
4: Uh, I taught, um, uh, first I taught, uh, computers, mm-hmm. like, uh, a program, you know, like basic and logo and, you know, stuff like that, you know? And then, uh, then I taught, uh, then I w- did a l- art for a little while for a semester because- our teacher was gone, and then I taught math for a semester. And then I was assistant principal for six years. Wow. Yeah.
1: I did not so. know that, but that's the point of this, is yeah. I get to learn things yeah. and, <laughs> then, <laughs> and
4: then after the six years, and I was you know, getting my degree in administration, uh, the music teacher retired. So uh, the, the principal was like, I don't really need another, you know what, I really need a great music teacher. You know these kids deserve it. So, so within a week of doing that, I was like, "Wow, okay, this is the best job ever." <laughs> really?
1: And, and where's your school?
4: It is hundred uh, and second in Amsterdam. In Manhattan. In Manhattan, it's called the Edward A. Reynolds West Side High School. Ed was uh, the principal that hired me.
2: Oh
1: wow!
4: And he he passed away while I was his assistant principal. Jeez.
1: You stressed them out that much, yeah, as your AP. It's like, oh, gee, what is, How does that sound? Yeah. Um, so, you said you taught. You okay over there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You dropped everything.
0: I didn't drop the T. I didn't drop the T. You um, didn't drop the
1: B. Well, first, I'm gonna. First, I want to. I want to interrupt this interview just for a second to say, if anne Marie sounds like a 12 year old girl today, it's because she had a very busy weekend, and I just want to give you a little plug. Anne Marie is singing with the Windborne uh, Tribute to Kiss Symphonic Show. Oh my God. She's Ooh, doing a bunch of a shows print, with them. Yeah, it's um, so so look that up, Windborne Music. And Anne Marie is uh, the um, lead girl singer in that particular show. So that's why she sounds like she has no voice because she did two local gigs and then I went on a plane. You sound like a 12 year old boy. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you sound like Bobby Hill. Um, <laughs> Aww. But, uh, <laughs>
0: And also, ragweed season. Yeah.
1: So that's, that's why Amory sounds like that. She's been very busy.
0: Sorry, guys. That's why I'm not singing, really.
1: And if Andy sounds aggregated, I mean, aggravated, it's because he's, uh, he's in the middle of moving. So everybody's got stuff going on this week. I'm
0: fine. Well, you, well, you just had a vacation,
1: so you should be all right. I'm
0: good. You're We're good? Between vacations. Can I right make now? some more tea? Will you yell at me? I'm not
1: going to. I don't yell here, Amory.
0: Have what? I aggravating?
5: No, not the, the, while we're it, recording. It's, it's recording. Yeah, no. Okay.
0: It's Let's no see. yelling. No recording. Okay, <laughs> <Alrighty. laughs>
2: go
0: make some tea. See, see what that red that red up there on the screen means means that's the no yelling.
1: I'm very nice, so Okay. go make when your the, fucking tea. Okay.
5: okay. When it's, <laughs> 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 oh. There's gonna be a blinking red light in your living room tomorrow.
1: <laughs> so, um, now you said you you said you taught basic like did you, you had to learn all that stuff to teach it obviously yeah where is that was that a hobby of yours or you just did it
4: for- no I just I mean uh, I did take uh, Fortran when I was in college I guess that's dating me but right you know, <laughs> I went, I, that's uh, actually uh, Donald and I Buck Dharma we met in college we had a college band mm-hmm. that was uh, we the first year that we played. <clears throat> We were definitely the be- the worst band on college on campus. <laughs> we sucked. We were terrible. What was the name of your band? Uh, at that time, it was called the the Disciples.
1: That's a cool name. Yes.
4: And that, but then the next year we changed our name to the Travesty
1: <laughs> because we were so bad the year before. And now did you? Now, are you recognizing this in hindsight or while you were in it? You're like, we suck. No,
4: no, we we uh, I'm recognizing. Well, no, we knew that we sucked. But I, <laughs> I didn't really know what travesty meant. I thought it was like uh, Travis Monks or something. But
1: did you did you suck in like the the like punk rock way of sucking? We're like, no, we don't care. We're just doing this for music. You just suck. Like, no, we're actually terrible at, our, at what we're doing.
4: No, we tried really hard. <laughs> we just sucked. Well, there was. It was kind of you know. We had uh, a jazz guitar player, this guy from Chicago, Jeff Latham, and we had uh, a uh, the bass player was our friend Bruce, Bruce Abbott, who okay. Bruce he wrote uh, "Golden Age of Leather" and "Mirrors" and a few other songs for BOC. But anyway, and he's still a close friend, but uh, he didn't really know how to play an instrument, or <laughs> at least the bass. He couldn't play it,
3: so. <laughs> he chose to play yeah yeah yeah
4: he actually turned out to be a pretty good keyboard player which is what happened is he stopped playing bass the jazz guitar player played bass and he played organ like farfisa organ
1: now what was what was buck playing then
4: he played guitar
1: okay i know he started on drums he said yeah yeah
4: yeah but that was i mean i guess that had happened he he broke his his hand or something i think or his arm.
1: So we decided <laughs> I'll play guitar with a broken hand. Yeah, it was a broken arm. <laughs> okay. I, it, was his, it must okay. have been his arm. <laughs> Wait, so um when did you now you're talking about your early band, this is when you were in college. Yeah. yeah. Um so when did you start playing and what was your first instrument and all this good stuff?
4: Uh I actually started on the piano when I was seven. Good parents. Uh, yeah, they made me <laughs> oh my god, I hated practicing and <laughs> All my friends are out there playing and I always have to,
1: oh, I've got
4: to be half an hour of
1: this. Was it Vincelli that said he had to play accordion or something before yes. he could play drums? <laughs> yeah. A lot of drummers, their parents, yeah. know yeah. you have to play this first.
4: Yep. That's right. I wanted to play drums, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> they said, you have to learn how to play the piano. So, And in hindsight, I'm very grateful about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, J- Joe is your brother, yep. um, original bass player for Blue Oyster mm-hmm. Cult. But um, what, who's older? Oh, I'm older. Okay, so you started first, and when he started, he had to play piano first, I'm guessing, yep. too. So that was the rule.
4: Yep, yep. So did your parents play? My mother played. My, my dad played guitar. Okay. But uh, I didn't know he played guitar until after we were already like having a little band. Really? And then turned out that he... Because everybody in the band had learned how to play guitar from my Uncle Bill. Hmm. Who was an uh, insurance agent who played on weekends? You know, weekend mm-hmm. warrior type guy. And he had all kinds of gear. He had a, like a jazz master, and he had a big box jazz guitar, and and uh, uh, a couple Fender amps, and drums. You know, he had like a couple drums sitting around the house. He had a he played. He actually played uh, guitar and trumpet. Oh wow! But he had a He they used to practice in his house. So that's where we practice. We practice on their equipment. And we started similar to them, you know, where uh, my cousin Teddy played the drums. My brother Joe played the trumpet. Uh, Teddy's cousin Eddie played the guitar. And, uh, I, and I played piano. Huh.
2: And was- then,
4: uh, then Teddy started playing guitar. And I, I switched to drums.
2: <claps> Yay! Yeah. I was, I
4: was actually, I was already playing in the school band by then. Drums, drums, yeah. So
1: now, how did you, did you take to drums immediately when you first started? Like, did you know, like, as soon as you sat down, like, this is what I want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I started playing like this, uh, like, uh... Huh.
5: right.
4: that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Just like the jungle drums, you know, Gene Cooper. Mm. And that's that's what I wanted to do. And and it was really easy. I didn't have to work at it at all. Of course, now playing the mashed potatoes, that was hard like <laughs> That took like hours of practicing. Really? Under my desk <laughs> in chemistry class.
1: I have a a friend of my dad's is a music teacher uh out on Long Island and he said when it's time to recruit for band class, he gives this like test to everybody, um, and you know it's it's like a pitch. You can hear a pitch. You can read rhythms. It's a you know it's a thorough test, and they have to fill out this stuff. But he says for drummers, he walks into every class while the class is in session and looks for kids tapping on the desk, and that's how he gets drummers. He goes because the kids tapping on the desk are the kids that already have rhythm, so it doesn't matter about their he doesn't care about their pitch or if they can you know if they can do it compute they can compute yeah it sounds but he, if they if they have the rhythm in them he says already. it it makes his job so much easier cuz he doesn't have to worry about kids slowing down and not getting it like the kids <sighs> tapping on their test they already have it yeah yeah so. i know
4: i know some kids do and i mean although i've had students that maybe they just weren't coordinated or whatever and so it took them a little longer but then they ended up being like pretty good so
1: I found when, just to jump around for a little bit, I found when I was teaching uh, guitar lessons that it was almost like me, I was getting my practice in by teaching them and learning new things oh, all absolutely. the time. Do you find oh, yeah. that? Do you find oh. that's the case? Oh, yeah. Especially on guitar and piano.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, especially piano, because I still suck at piano. But, but you
1: have <laughs> to have a le- level of competence to, to yeah, show them what yeah, to do.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I can, you know, I. I can figure out a popular song and show them how to play it, and you know, I like to teach them both hands at once. I don't know if other people do that, but I just feel that uh, there's something that happens in your brain when you're using both hands doing
1: different things. Yeah, I wish I learned piano like that.
0: I well, I took <laughs> piano lessons for like ten f- years when I was a kid, yeah. and I couldn't play piano until I started teaching chorus. Really? Like I couldn't act I did not feel competent in any sense. Actually, I still don't feel competent. That's
1: funny, because you were a really lousy piano player when I met you. And then like yeah, as I, soon as I you got miserable. that as soon as you got that gig, like over a year the course of a year, you became a very good piano player. I remember watching I'm not you, a very
0: good piano player. No, no, you are. I remember no, watching you play it,
1: when, when, when we're at fake your recital like, and I was just like wow, you got like really good in a really short amount of time. So that was very I impressive to, play to me. I for
0: kids all the time. But that's what happens. Yeah. When you have to play for somebody, you have to have that sense of authority and you don't have time to doubt yourself. So it's like you have to like just yeah. get yeah. over it
1: yeah. fast. It's so. true. And, and, it's if, true. And, and you guys know from 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 teaching kids, if they sense weakness, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> they pounce. You, pounce. you are done. Play for the jugular. So even if you suck, you have to pretend you don't and exactly. convince them that you don't. I know.
0: And even if you mess up, you'd be like, "No, I meant to, I absolutely meant to do that. <laughs> See if you're paying attention."
1: Um. So you play guitar also. When did and, and bass? When did that happen? Is it well just-
4: that I, I basically I learned how to play from my brother Joe. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was, my uncle Bill was showing him how to play, and then I would come home and he'd say, "Oh, you know." We, I think at one point we had two guitars because at first we just had my dad's guitar but then Joe got his own guitar.
1: What kind of guitar did your dad have? Oh,
4: No name. Acoustic. Okay. Yeah. It, it it didn't even have steel strings. It had like cat gut Ooh. strings.
0: Whoa.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it was really.
0: I love that lesson when I teach the orchestra and I was like, do you know what strings used to be made out of? And like all the little freshman girls were like, oh my God, really? Did they kill the cats? I'm like, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> know, they
2: were, dead. No, they they were
4: already dead.
0: They were already dead. They harvested them from dead alley cats. They <laughs> never had
1: a home. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were really bad cats. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you know, scratched up little babies. So we had to make oh, strings oh, out of them.
0: Oh, <laughs> they oh. scratched up little babies.
5: It made, it's a real thing. It happens.
1: Oh. Um. So when did you like find out you could write songs because you've written a lot of the material the you know the classic BOC material. Yeah.
4: I I think I start when I was playing the piano I mean even before I started playing the drums I was I would make up stuff. Mm. And uh and my mother encouraged me. She was like, "Yeah, I used to write too when I was a kid, huh. you know, with her with her brother and stuff." And, or they would do parodies of other songs. Okay. You know, cuz she liked to write lyrics and he was a you know, he's a pretty good piano player, too. So uh, I started then, but I didn't really, um, I had some riffs. And I think the first thing that I wrote for the, well, my high school band, we were called the Regal Tones. Ooh. Uh, the Regal Tones. So uh, I wrote a song for the Regal Tones called Regal Tone Twist.
2: You know, this is probably, you
4: know, when the twist was big, what, 1960, 1961, something like that. And, uh, and I wrote it on the piano. So, But then uh, the next song, I know I, I wrote it. On, I, I think that was the last one I did on piano until like Astronomy or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the, the then I got the guitar bug, and that was it. You know, guitar was like... I, even now, I mean, I have... I will have, you know, on my phone, I record everything. And, yep. You know you know the deal. So So I'll be sitting there watching TV, and, you know, usually when you're watching TV... You're not playing anything but like some sort of string, you know, ukulele yeah. or, you know, guitar or whatever.
1: Is that what, Now, do you find that you get a lot of your musical ideas when almost like your music brain is off? Or it's like, like, for me, like, I'll get like an idea for something when I'm like in the shower and I'm not thinking about music. But something will just like, a stupid thing will come in my head. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty, pretty nice. Or do you actively like say, I have to write something right now?
4: Happens all the, you know, I mean, I. Like I did the solo record, and the first song on that solo record is something called "Ghosts," and that came out of uh, some one of the kids, or maybe it was a group of kids, wanted to learn how to play Bella's theme. You know that?
0: Yeah.
4: You know from Twilight. Okay. Okay. So, so I learned how to play it, and I'm like, this this piece breaks all the rules. You've got like a like a sus two with a with a G sharp in it and or yeah is it a G sharp yeah yeah a G sharp with an A sus 2 I guess it would work but. so it's
0: a major 7 oh. sus 2 yeah ooh
4: yeah 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 so yeah it just didn't seem like it would work but it sounded great and I was like oh I've got to make a song out of that so that was actively thinking about how am I going to make a song out of that and trying to find some sort of groove and some sort of your subject matter that would work with
1: that weird chord so now what is your i have i have a bunch of questions to ask you but i'm gonna try to ask them in order that makes sense okay so what is your now you said there's all different kinds of processes for you because it's because it seems like you songwriting is still a very very big part of your life and it's something you you actively do yeah um so what's a if you can, if if this is even possible, what's a typical um, process for you for songwriting? That's even possible to describe, um, or an example. Well,
4: I, 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 now it's these days. It's first of all, I write with a lot more different people now, so it's like things come my way all the time. But mm-hmm. back when I was with BOC, I would get an idea for a riff, mm-hmm. guitar riff, or some sort of chord pattern or something and then i would go through i would have like just you know a big folder of lyrics you know with sandy perlman or richard melzer patty smith or you know Helen wheels you know all the people that i was writing with and i would just try and find something that fit with that lyric with that um um that musical piece right and if, if it fit you know if i could find something that was cool if it couldn't then that would just sit there for for a while
1: well eric has told me that when you guys lived together there was like a notebook of lyrics from all your friends and you guys would claim stuff let's say oh i got something for this this is i'll take this song and yeah that's a lot of that would
4: happen like for instance uh richard Meltzer gave me burning for you Mm -hmm. first and i wrote a piece and i didn't like it and then joe tried it and he didn't like it and then Uh, we decided that don should write it so richard gave it to donald and you know he he, he did okay with it yeah (laughs) he he did write it write it really good so yeah but we could tell from that lyric it was gonna it it had the potential to be a hit
1: right well um that's interesting because you can look at see i don't know if i would have that ability just to look at like poetry pretty much and say oh that's a hit song, you know. If that's there's how no...
0: they used to do it in the old days, like leader, like German leader and stuff, they'd be like, they'd take poems and just set the poems and try yeah, to make yeah. the poems turn into something. Yeah,
4: I think Career of Evil was a was a Patty Smith poem. Yeah, you know, it was in seventh in the Seventh Heaven book, I think. Were
0: they, were they were those poems? Do you think were were they written with the intent to become lyrics or just poems?
4: No, no, that's no. Cool. Debbie Denise was a was a poem.
0: That's in a cool. Book,
4: one of her books. So, um, I wonder about Vera Gemini that. she wrote specifically for me to write
1: now which is the one on that album that you gender swapped
4: uh, uh, Debbie Denise okay
1: so that was supposed to be
4: a woman singing about another woman
5: ah so why'd
1: you change it then okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so if I would sang it about a man you see <laughs> I was out rolling with my man yeah
1: <laughs> that would have been very controversial for uh 1976. So um, when you started playing bands, now, because it sounds like songwriting has always been something you're interested in, um, was the goal to do an original band, or was this like a cover band with some originals? Is that like, like what were you going for when you first put together your first bands? Oh, no,
4: no. First band? Yeah. We were just trying to play, We we were trying to imitate my Uncle Bill, really. Really? Yeah. And play, we played a lot of the songs, the jazz songs that he played. And, 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 and I remember fe- I, before we ever played a gig, we would play out in front of my Uncle Bill's house. And he lived like kind of on the outskirts of town, but where there was all these motels and stuff. And all these tourists would come and stay there in the uh, summer. Ah,
2: gigs! So, so that was our <laughs> gig:
4: was we put the we put the tambourine out front. You know, we play while the people walk by, and they would throw in, you know, what, a dime or what whatever.
1: jazz tunes did you do? Do you remember any of them? Ah,
4: uh, well, we did like "Wonderland by Night," which was kind of you know that was a big hit with Bert Kemp you know, the guy who fought, discovered the Beatles. actually. <laughs> Um, and uh, let's see, Stranger on the Shore by um, Mr. Ackerbilk. And we did uh, Chances you... Are, Johnny Mathis. That song did, I've heard. Uh, uh, well, we did. We wanted to play The Ventures. And the only. We couldn't play Walk, Don't Run. It was too hard. <laughs> so we played uh, songs from that. Album. Uh, One of the songs was uh, "Sleepwalk," and um, of course that.
1: Yeah. We can play it if you want. Yeah, yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather play it on slide guitar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I know. Great, great song.
4: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We played. uh, Oh, "Misty Mm. Moonlight" in Vermont. You know, Mm. a lot of the standard that you're still here now
0: you know? oh yeah
1: that's cool I just you know do, did you find that having a, a foundation and like standards was helpful to you in, in everything else you did or did you just totally throw that out the window when you started playing rock and roll
4: <laughs> I do not you know I never tried to at least back then I never even tried to incorporate you know it was like you had the kinks yeah and then you had you know Johnny Mathis <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'd play the kinks when we played like a rock gig or uh, when we play a Battle of the Bands or something like that where we had to come out strong. But then we'd play, if it was a prom, I mean, we did, what well, in the May and June, we play two or three gigs a week, you know, wow. playing all these proms because they wanted like the slow songs, wow. you know, fascination and... You know, Elvis tombs and stuff like that. So that's what we did. We did this, you know, I just wouldn't even bring the sticks. i
1: just bring some brushes.
4: That was the whole deal. You know, sh-
3: <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> As you throw your sticks on the floor, <laughs> defiantly. When- <laughs> that was the whole night, you know. i do a lot of background
4: You were focus. stirring the soup? Yeah, <laughs> stirring the soup, exactly, yeah.
1: So what? So when did you like say, okay, screw this? I want to play rock and roll in my band. Uh, you know, I think that all during high school we we
4: had those kind of gigs, and then we had the rock gigs, and then we did a, uh, the biggest battle of the bands in the area, and we won.
1: Now, was this in Long Island?
4: No, no, this is in Watertown, New York. Okay, so which is the big the big city? You know, it's fifty thousand people there. <laughs>
2: so
4: and it was a uh, it was a uh, over you know you had, over the course of a few weeks you know so they had different things and then finally they had the final final event you know with the top 7 bands and uh, and <clears throat> we played uh, we played uh this diamond ring Gary Lewis and the Playboys okay. you know kind of a you know homage to uh that smoother side that we did and then we did uh uh, an original song that Joe and I wrote called "She Turns Me On." which the kids really liked, but it was really a rip off of uh, the Rocky Fellers and their Killer Joe. I don't know if you heard of them. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, we we had uh, ripped off the Killer Joe, t- and then they put a little bit of um, uh, "She's Not There" in there too.
1: Oh. So,
0: yeah.
4: So, yeah, it was a it was not very original, but uh, the the my classmates and people that come and see us, like, they really liked it, you know. So it was, you know, it sounded like a one of the hits, because it was. <laughs> 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 and then we played, for our last song, we played Johnny Be Good. Oh, there mom. you go. And nobody else played, you know, anything soulful like that, so.
1: It's it's a, it's amazing to think of a world where not every band played Johnny B. Good.
5: <laughs> <laughs> like like oh way. shit,
1: those guys played Johnny B. Good. That's mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> These yeah. guys are really edgy. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, down here you probably wouldn't, you know, the kids didn't get that, but up there, where there was like no people of color whatsoever, so right. and no. You know, I mean, really, there was, you know, they played Louis
1: Armstrong, but that was about it. So you're saying this is like early 60s?
4: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I graduated in 65, so I think the Battle of the Bands was in 64, so.
1: Now, what um, were you completely into the Beatles when they came out, or were you into more of the fringe stuff?
4: Well, they came out in 1963, and I, I wasn't crazy about them. Really? Yeah, I thought they were very, uh,
1: well, that concludes our show today, folks. Um, Thanks to Albert for coming on the show. My favorite band
4: was the wrecking crew. I, except that I didn't know that's who they were.
1: Ah, okay. So you, you liked all those, um, R and B records and all the, uh, pop
4: records and California sound. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, Oh, the wrecking crew. That's who did, um, Hal Blaine. Hal Blaine. Right, right, right. The beach boys and, uh, Oh, nice. And, uh, Palmer,
4: um, What's his name? Something Palmer. Uh, there was two drummers, and they were both my favorites. And then, uh, you know, and of course, Tony Dadesco and all of that. You know, so. Did you ever get to meet any of those guys? Nope. Oh. Not one. Carol Kay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so And I, I like Motown, too. So the Beatles sounded very crude compared to that. Uh, I would have to say, though, by the second record, I was starting to get into it. And then the third record, which was uh, what?
1: Um, See, I know, I can tell you what the British releases were, but not Beatles the U.S. Beatle Six or something. See, yeah, like that. there's all different records for the U.S. But
4: it had, uh, yeah. it had all of those, and by that time, it was like, holy crap! These guys <laughs> just, you know, they were mind blowing. They played music like nobody ever played before. Yeah, they they went over the top.
0: I can see how someone would think that they sounded sloppy, though, like in the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, divorce papers I are being I written up. I
4: dance with another Ooh. But,
1: you know, well, you know what the sloppy feels, you know. The thing with the Beatles, though, is um, because it was such a cultural phenomenon when it happened, for someone like Albert, who was already playing music yeah. and um it he didn't need the beatles to say i want to do that i want to play guitar he's like i'm already doing that yeah. you know what i mean and i'm doing it at a high enough level where i can recognize yeah. you know that that maybe the drummer on the beach boys records is a little better than the drummer on the beatles records you know what i mean <laughs> so um so yeah. you could you could recognize that but uh a lot of people from that era from from talking to them they didn't play and then they saw the beatles and that made them want to play yeah but so you have a different perspective because you were already playing yeah yeah so but but i mean the, it's the, the phenomenal thing about the beatles is i mean yes the it's definitely raw in the beginning the songs are there but it's raw but as they go on in their relatively short span the music gets infinitely more complex as it goes on yeah and that's something, that's an interesting thing to me. I mean, that's why I, I like them.
0: Well, that's why I can't really, follow, whenever, you know, the newer bands, regardless who you're talking about, like, if you're, the more modern rock bands, a lot of people are like, oh, the, you know, their direction. You could say, like, Muse, they, they really change directions. You could say Incubus and Foo Fighters and all these other modern dudes. Like, they change directions. But look at the Beatles. They, like, just completely went to a whole other plane of existence yeah. by the end of their career, you know? In less than 10 years. In less than yeah. 10 years, exactly. Yeah. So
1: are you, are you more of a Beatles or a Stones guy?
0: Oh,
4: I was always a Beatles fan, really. Okay, so but the Stones, you know, uh, I got to appreciate them when I started getting into the blues, mm-hmm. which was really in college. You know, and really it was my second year of college when I was a, a sophomore. And uh, uh, I had a drum student who I taught um, drums to when I was in high school he was younger than me so he was playing in a blues band back in my hometown you know up in the watertown area and uh his parents moved to florida and he had to leave so they asked me to sit in with the band that summer you know in my, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year and that we all we did was play blues blues and bob dylan <laughs>
1: you know electric mix.
4: electric bob
1: dylan okay
4: yeah so uh and we would play shows and there'd be like 500 kids there. I'd be like, holy crap. Every show was like packed and people were crazy about this band. So I came back, I wrote to Donald down in, down in Long Island. I said, you know, I... I just played in this blues band. It's fantastic. I love the blues. He said, I just saw this band called The Blues Project. They're fantastic. I love the blues. We were just talking about that in the dressing
1: room the other day. We were just talking about The Blues Project.
4: Yeah. And so we discovered the blues the exact same, because he didn't really like The Stones either. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we became like The Stones because in the first few years, that's what we were. We were like a blues, um, you know, white boy blues band.
1: You know what's crazy? I can't imagine, and I don't—I don't mean to make an age remark, but I just can't imagine because we, you and I, Andy, were born into knowing blues. Right. Like I can't remember a time when I didn't know blues. You know what I mean? But imagine discovering blues like like it it didn't exist one day, and then all of a sudden you're just like. Holy shit! Like, look, like that—that that had to be—that had
4: to be crazy. Well, what happened was we discovered muddy waters and you know the real blues guys, and that was like, whoa, you know that's you know, and and also playing the blues, it's like that's a great way to learn how to improvise mm-hmm. and how to just think on your feet. So I think that that both of those things happened. We became much more of an improvisational band, and you know, and and. I don't know we just found it you know by the the travesty was a big success
2: ironically (laughs) Ironically.
4: yeah the travesty was a huge hit in potsdam we we were drawing like 500 kids every gig with the blues with the blues yeah so it worked you know and then so then we you know we decided to drop out of school make it big
1: so you know well we moved around so travesty was the band that made you drop out of school. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
5: So it was a Travis.
1: <laughs> no, I yeah. mean we, well the thing I was talking about in the dressing room the other day with the guys was that um uh we were talking about Clapton and how my favorite Clapton era is the Bluesbreaker album and, mm-hmm. and and how like yeah. you know what I, I'm lying I did have a, a little mini epiphany and it's when I heard that Bluesbreaker album like I heard that and I'm like wait a minute that's how you, that's how you're supposed to play guitar like when I heard that like that and I yeah. I made it like my life's mission to learn every note off that album which I did yeah. and yeah. and I feel like it I feel like that made me a better guitar player. But um what uh Eric and, and Don were explained to me is that in the States that wasn't as big as the Blues Project. Like yeah. like that that was more like a, a UK thing was the the blues breakers. Right. So and they said here it was all about the blues project. Right. And so you said that's the album that you and Don really got into at the same time. Oh yeah,
4: yeah. And we became like a blues project cover band almost, you know, where we played like I think they only had three albums. We played every song from the album. you know. So,
3: Speaking of playing songs.
1: Oh, Segway Sam over here. Okay.
0: <laughs> so let's
1: play a song that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now.
0: I don't know. What do you want to
1: play? <laughs> <laughs> Should we not play a song? We can play a song. But,
0: um... <laughs> Segway Sam over <laughs> yeah. here. I'm going to give you a Segway yeah, Sam yeah, yeah. shirt. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We- he had all these questions he wanted to. Ask it's okay. Me. Let's play a song first. You did you did pick two songs that you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we so can do which the bluesy one? There's a bluesy one? Which one? one oh, is there that? is a bluesy one. The, the, oh, the Clash oh, song. Okay. Well, why did you, you know you there's a special reason you picked this this Clash song that we're going to do. Yeah, now. yeah. And, because and, uh well, um uh, uh
4: Sandy Proman, of course, passed away mm-hmm. last summer, and uh, so one of the things that they always mention is that he produced the Clash. Mm-hmm. So there was a song that he produced for the Clash where Alan Lanier played the piano, and
1: I was kind of like that song. So uh, the piano part on this is great, and I really, you know, I, I love that Alan always put that rock and roll thing. In, oh yeah, in, you know, like the, the real old school, like. Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis kind of rock rock and roll thing in what he did, like that's that's awesome.
4: When when uh, I first met Alan, uh, we we got along really great, but he, he I didn't know he played piano. He was just playing guitar, and I thought, you know, he got Donald playing guitar. You don't we don't really need another guitar player. That's and so I was like, uh, I was like I, Don, I don't know about this Alan guy. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, he's not, he's kind of sloppy. And, you know, at the time I thought. He that, likes the Stones better than the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That was the problem. He liked the Stones better than the Beatles. So one day we were at Stony Brook at the college there just hanging out. I guess we are trying to, to to get a gig there or something. And uh, there was a piano in one of the dorms and Alan sat down and I started playing exactly like that, you know, on that that cut, that, bing, le, doo, 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 you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And I was like, whoa, you can play that? He goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, man, you, gotta play, you got to play, we got to get you a keyboard. So we did. We got him a keyboard to play, so.
1: Well, I, before we start the song, I'm going to just do one more quick story. Um, there's a Blue Oyster Cult song called, well, I think it wasn't, I think it was pre-Blue Oyster Cult, Arthur Comics. Yeah. When, when did you do that song? Was that before Was that Soft White Underbelly
4: Yeah it was a Soft Underbelly song
1: So yeah. we did that for the 40th anniversary show And um, <laughs> oh, we, so we started doing it before then And you know Don sent everybody MP3s And said this is the song I'd like everybody to learn And I'm like okay you know, no problem This is an organ solo winner or whatever And, and, he, and he sends me a special message I would like you to learn the exact organ solo on this And I went
0: <laughs>
1: Fuck <laughs> <laughs> It's not easy um
0: i remember you sweat that for weeks i
1: was so pissed he, no, but I, you,
0: you practiced your ass off on that
1: well keyboards are hard so <laughs> so uh. i practiced it but then a nice little moment i had and i thought it was i thought the 40th anniversary show was nice because um alan didn't come off the road in a good way you know what i mean in a in, yeah. in the way that I would have liked him to go into retirement. It just didn't it didn't go in, in a good way. Yeah. So, it just sort of like it was just like a sudden thing where you are just like okay, I can't do this anymore. So, um and you know, touring is 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 hard. Yeah, I, it's
4: taxing just, and it's I hard. Just I just played 2 gigs with you in London and I was wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys went on and did like 10 more or
1: something. Yeah. But um what I really liked about that show was that Alan got to come back and do a proper last show. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and that, that and that more than anything. I mean, it was great playing with the entire original band. That was awesome. Yeah. But the thing that I you know because I being working with Alan, you know, I've known Alan since two thousand, and it was a big chunk of my life spent you know with Alan. Like yeah. I spent like you know ten years knowing the guy and yeah. and and spending a lot of time with him, and you know it was kind of a shame when. I felt I felt awful like he got cheated that he couldn't have that you know good show yeah. and then when he, we did the 40th anniversary and he got that I, that made me the happiest out of anything but I had a cool moment with him uh, backstage I went Alan he's like yeah I uh, uh, went we we do Arthur comics now he's like oh yeah I was like yeah Don maybe learn your exact solo and he goes with Don Don why are you bothering him with that. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Play alone. <laughs> <Like, laughs>
1: why you, are you, are you He was, I was like, "It's got to be that solo. That's a good solo." Uh, he <laughs> never played it twice. Yeah, exactly. So, ever. That's,
3: that's
1: why it was, he looked at me like, "Are you? Are you high? Like, why are you learning? Like, why are you learning it like that?" Yeah. No. Like, we know.
4: played We're, that a lot, but that was uh, that was that was a standard that we did. Uh, at, actually, the we played this place called the um, Southampton Supper Club, mm-hmm. and it was After Hours Club. And in the middle of the, I mean, we took a break, and some guy comes over and says, Hey, uh, I'm Archie Bell, Archie Bell's brother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, can you guys play the tighten up? We go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he got up, and he attempted to sing the t- tighten up. You know, he's like, well, just a drunk guy, I guess, but. Not really, Archie Bell, but anyway. So that's that's how that song came about. Was was that incident, you know, probably in nineteen sixty nine.
1: Well, yeah. well, another here's, here's another sort of funny uh, side B to that story with the that's the soul to that song. We on the podcast we did "Burn for You" with um, Danny and John Michelli, and um, Don heard it, and I, I do Don solo for that, right? He heard, he goes, that burning fuse sounded great. He goes, you know the Buck Dharma solo to that. He goes, I don't know the Buck Dharma solo to that. <laughs> it was the same guy that made me learn on the, the comics <laughs> Yeah, he never plays anything the same twice either. He says, I don't know the Buck Dharma solo for that. You know the Buck Dharma solo for that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to play now and uh, we'll talk more about this song uh, afterwards. So, um,
0: Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, All
1: right. yeah. All let's right. do it. So this is, what's the name of this song? Uh, Judy's been working for the... No, Judy. Judy. No, no,
2: Judy.
0: <laughs> I keep if saying Judy. You Julie. say Judy. It's I be hope problem. I can get you this. <laughs> Drug squad.
1: Okay. So, um, Andy, you have to do your best Alan in this. It's very difficult. And um, Albert's requested that you learn the exact solo <laughs> for this. <laughs> to. Uh,
2: so uh, to, go ahead and learn it now. To Arthur
5: Comics. <laughs> and
1: okay. put it in this Play in the Arthur time. Comics.
3: The Arthur Comics. All right, here we go.
5: Feathers in high But sooner or later Her new friends will realize Truth has been working for the drug squad Truth has been working for the drug squad Well, it seems like a dream to clip it through Stash it in the bank while the tablets go high In the millions And everybody's high
1: Because well, obviously Alan's on it, but Sandy produced it. Yeah. So um, when did you meet Sandy?
4: Oh, well, I met him when I came to New York in 1967, and um, uh, when I first got there, I didn't, I hadn't met him, but um, uh, I, d- I, stayed with, I didn't have a place to stay, so I stayed with Donald's parents, wow, the, the Rosers, for two weeks. And in return, I painted their house for them. <laughs> wow! And that wasn't too bad. It was the summertime, you know. But uh, but the only bad thing was there was a, a wasp naps- nest. Oh!
2: Yeah. Always the case.
4: But I managed. Not, I guess I got so much white paint on me that they didn't want to sting <laughs> you me. Cap-
3: <laughs> you cap- <laughs> yourself. Cap- <laughs> <just> like- <laughs> 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 yeah.
4: They would have got stuck if they tried to get me. But uh, and then and during that time, I was looking for another place to stay, and so I heard that there was a group of girls at the at Stony Brook that had some off-campus living situation. They had a big house that they had all rented, and they had an extra room because one of the girls had left or you know dropped out or whatever. So there was extra room, so they said I could stay there. And so I went over to talk to the girls, and Sandy was there. Oh wow! And one of the girls was uh, the girl that became his wife, Joan.
1: So it was now was he? A, he was a rock critic. Yeah, like a writer or a yeah. uh... he.
4: He wrote for a magazine called Crawdaddy, but you know back then it was like that was that, that was not an occupation. Right, it was a hobby. Okay, you know <laughs> you, you know they paid five dollars uh, <laughs> per article. Yeah, you know, and even back then it was nothing.
1: So, so, so that, that's the, like, that nowadays yeah. that's like saying you have a podcast.
5: A
4: yeah, podcast. yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, it's as lucrative as that, unless you're Mark Marin.
1: Yeah, exactly.
4: Uh. Oh, you know you, you didn't do any pitches. You do that later.
1: Well, you know what? Th- thank you. Segue, <laughs> Sam. Part two. A, if you'd like to, if you. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, Albert. <laughs> You know what? Yes. I went the last show, the last episode, I didn't do it once, so oh, I, no. I suck. And, yeah, yeah. and that pays for like the, the dinner we had before this. So Yeah, and that uh, was good. Delicious. Thanks. Some Staten Island Italian food. Italian food. For Staten uh, Island.
5: Good Italian food.
1: Uh, mm. If you'd like to support the Band Geek podcast, please use our Amazon link. You do that by going to riotcast.com bandgeek. At the top of the page, you'll see an Amazon banner. Click that before you do your Amazon shopping. It brings you to the regular Amazon website, and you do your shopping like you normally would, except when you check out, a small percentage of your purchase goes to supporting our show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. And we know a lot of people have been doing that, and that helps us out tremendously. So please continue to do that. If you have been doing it, and if you haven't, it's very easy. Just go to riotcast.com bandgeek. You can even save the Amazon link yes, you can. onto your uh, your internet browser, which is what I do.
5: That's what I do, too. And,
1: um, and oh. yeah, so it's very easy. And
4: so you don't even have to be in the podcast. No. Just, just if you want to go shopping, you just click on it, and yep. you get some of the money.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the show, well, I the gotta show do gets, that. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Um, So if anybody wants to buy a car or anything on Amazon... I just put a mattress
5: on Amazon. A mattress? We might be able to get a new mic
1: stand out of it. (laughs) I need to buy some marching drums. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. For the school. Um, And also, a lot of people don't shop on Amazon and they just want to you know show the show some love and if you want to do that just go to richie com slash tip jar all he one word shop on
0: Amazon. yeah but
1: some people are just like you know what I want to just give the show money because I like it. like this one that guy Robert Crossland said because you know yeah. I just want to give the show some money because I like it and you guys have been entertaining me so Aww. if anybody yeah I, which is really nice and What's I mentioned Robert Crossland I think I Thank got that you, right Robert. yeah Rossland. so um yeah so if, if you want to just do that that's we love that too, and we we love you either way. We, and if you want to give us no money, and just listen to the show for free. That's fine, but you have to live with that In your, in your choices. <laughs> yeah, you
0: and, we, yeah. and we know your secret. Yeah, and we, who, we know Amazon. we know
1: we know who you are. So, but it's okay. Just keep listening to the show for free. Anyway, that's thank fun. you for reminding me to do that. <laughs>
4: and very nice music, Andy.
1: Yes, Andy gave us some so incidental smooth. music there. You smooth man. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the tunes Albert used to play in his band. For a problem. So okay, now this sounds like we're at the, at the stage where it's like the pre BOC, the formation of it, because um, now you have Albert, you have um, you have Alan, you have Donald, mm-hmm. and you have Sandy Perlman and you. Right. So um, when did like how did this evolve from there into you know what well, ended up uh... being
4: we had a singer named Les, and uh and he was he actually uh was kind of responsible for helping us get our first record deal which was with electra and uh the the executives from electra saw him and uh thought oh this guy is like the new york version of jim morrison Because he was, you know, he kind of was poetic, and he would recite things, and he was very, very dramatic. You know, he was. uh, His father was ran like a local theater company in Huntington, and so, uh, and sort of semi pro because he was actually an ad man on Madison Avenue, but you know, and successful. But he had this theater company that he worked with, you know, and so Les kind of had that theatricality. And so we ended up getting signed to Elektra with Les as the singer. And we made a... And, oh, and the bass player was this guy, Andy Winters, who Andy kind of brought Sandy Proman to us mm. because Andy um, worked in his father's pharmacy, and he knew Sandy. And then he brought Donald to meet Sandy.
2: Huh.
4: Because Donald was you know like a hot shit guitar player you know in high school so you know and Andy went to high school with Donald
1: so was was Donald always like the like from what you're saying it sounds like he, he was always like the lead guitar player sort of sort of guy yeah yeah so, I would so he, say so he was never like the chord guy it was always just like this is this is our this is our, our gun did,
4: did I tell you that that the, the, the uh, first time that I met him McDonald. No. Okay. I, let me. I'll, this is a quick one. No, dear. Go for so, it. Uh, so, so uh, I'm at Clarkson College of Technology, and it's the freshman talent show, <laughs> and so they had all these freshmen that got up there and did their thing, you know, whether they sang or they danced or whatever. And th- the show started off with uh, this guy that was in a lot of my classes, Bruce Abbott, who I knew, and this other guy this little guy, okay, so they were up there, and they're, they're warming, they're getting ready to play, and I, I walk up, and I, I see the guy playing guitar, and I said, hey, man, you're pretty good. He goes, oh, oh, thanks. And I said, uh, you know, I, you're, all, you're almost as good as my brother.
2: <laughs> and he goes, who's your brother? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Joe Bouchard. Never heard
5: of him. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that's
5: good That is good
1: yeah, So, so Donald but, but, <laughs> but I, I, I do want to interject something um, Even though that's like The stereotype You know, hotshot lead guitar attitude Don is so not like that like, yeah. like, or at least now I don't know how he was when he was a teenager yeah. But like, a lot of other bands Like if, if, I, if I was playing with Another band uh, where there was a guy who played the way as well as Donald does, I would never get a get a, a spot. You know what I mean? I would never yeah. get a lead. I would never get to sing a song. You know what I mean? So um, Don's really not like that. He he likes to let other people shine, and yeah. that's really you know that's a really rare thing. Uh, well, it was it was actually kind of funny, and I think that <laughs>
2: he
4: has a, he has a keen that's sense a of humor. humor. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yes. he, he really oh, so that you think, you think he was funny. he was screwing with you a little bit? Oh yeah, he was fucking with you absolutely.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I uh, mean, fricking with me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's, this is band geek. It's we're, it's we're right in the gutter.
4: This it's explicit okay. podcast. The
0: gutter. Where the gutter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Okay. So now you have. So they brought Sandy to meet Donald, and how did that go?
4: Oh well. Uh, no. Uh, Sandy liked him. Okay. And I got a letter from Donald. I was in Chicago playing with another band because. When we quit school to have a band, it just fizzled. It was like we couldn't get any gigs, you know. And then the people in the band started dropping out one by one.
1: What did your parents say about you quitting school to play music? Are you out of your mind? (laughs) Are
4: you on drugs? And you said yes, but that doesn't. I'm still playing music. Yeah, no, I probably lied, but uh, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I was like, no, I want to do this, you know. I mean, you know, I think I can do this. So, I mean, until that had happened in college, I really didn't think I was even good enough to to be a professional musician. I I knew that, like, Joe, uh, by the time I dropped out, he had already started uh, at Ithaca College as a music major. Oh, wow. Because he could sight-read piano or, or anything. He still can
1: you know, yeah, Joe's got a very impressive skill set and really, you know, nice, good gifts. Yeah,
4: yeah, he's, I mean, he's always been able to, I mean, he just, you know, Joe was the one who could really play piano. I couldn't play, you know, that's, I always compare myself to Joe and always fall short in, in the piano category. <laughs> no, I mean, because Joe really is, he's a, you know, if sometimes he goes a long time without playing and of course, you know, piano is like, if you don't play it, it's like, I, I came back from the summer and I was like, I couldn't play anything. Mm-hmm. You know? Now I'm like. It
0: takes a little while. Yeah yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Get back in Yeah.
4: But. Uh, yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, so I got the courage to do that in college. I saw that, you know, that we could draw a lot of people and people could, you know, and I also felt like. I don't know, I just felt like this, I wanted to try it. I wanted to try making it as a musician, you know. And, you know, my mother was like, it's a hard life, you know, everybody's a drug addict and the families break up and, you know, know, all her idols, you know, uh, well, not all hers, but, you know, uh, certainly Gene Krupa, you know, by then was was passed, you know, and, uh, you know, from basically abuse. So...
1: Who are you playing with in Chicago.
4: I played with the bass player, or the jazz guitar player, from uh, the, the Travesty, oh. who, uh, who was with this guy who had a record deal. And so we went out there. We practiced for two weeks. The record company saw us play. They gave him a check for an advance to make the record. And that was the last time I ever saw him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He just took the money, cashed it, and split.
1: That sucks.
4: Yeah. So now so you
1: now you got no band. You no, got no band. Money. I'm in
4: Chicago, and uh, Donald writes to me and says, "Hey, I want to come out and see you." I said, "Oh, great, great." You know, Bring I'm staying guitar. at the Y. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can get you some rooms cheap. You know, so uh, so they came out and stayed at the Y with me, and we smoked a lot of pot.
2: <laughs> yeah,
4: there's a theme to the show with the songs we selected today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, theme. That's
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We ha- we haven't we haven't gone down this road before. That's so because I'm you know, a boy scout, but whatever. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
4: You're, you've got a, a clean life.
1: <laughs> so um, when did uh, when did you Underbelly officially start? Then, uh,
4: when I came back to New York and uh, finished painting the house, because, uh,
2: <laughs>
4: but but during that time period, I was jamming with. Uh, Andy, and Donald, and Alan.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, so the the um, the four of us were jamming. And I sang lead. Nobody nobody else really wanted to sing lead. Donald was not really... He didn't really sing that much until, you know, later on, until right. Blue Oyster Cult set. Well, actually, so, towards the end, like, Arthur Comics was the first song he sang lead on. Mm-hmm. Then he did uh, Bonamo's Turkish Taffy. And... I mean, I know that when, and he always wanted to be the singer, but then it would come time, and he would just be all in his guitar. So, right, you know. So, I think that you know, he got more comfortable in that role as time went on.
1: So, w- you have. W- when did your brother? Um, come to the band. Was he like, what the hell, man? We're family. Why, why am I not playing with No, you? no, that's not how it went at
4: all. And, and you know, uh, uh, we actually, fi- we ended up firing Andy Winters. Mm. But it was kind of unfortunate because, uh, well, he, we realized, we said, because we'd, we'd lost another record deal. Mm-hmm. We got kicked off the label twice with Elektra, both times as a direct result of something that Andy did. You know, first time he insulted the art director. Mm. They kicked us off. They, The producer went back and got on his knees and said, please, you know, and Andy went and apologized and, you know, we all apologized and, you know, and then, okay, so then we're back on the label. They let us continue and then, um, <clears throat> then the lead singer quits and we get Eric to sing and... We're making a record with Eric, and the record company says there's no single. We want Don Gallucci to come and produce a single for you. Uh, Don Gallucci was originally in a band called The Kingsman. Okay. Okay, Louie Louie fame. And then he had Don and the Good Times on uh, Shindig or Hullabaloo, one of those TV shows, you know, the black and white TV shows from the. The sixties. And then uh then he became a producer for uh uh Electra. I think he produced I don't know, maybe bread. Maybe he definitely produced raw power for Iggy. As a matter of oh, fact, wow. he produced raw power the same at the same time that he was coming to work with us. And so he was waiting around for a couple days because we were upstate on a gig. So we came back to the gig. He came to the house we start rehearsing and then within an hour of him you know just when we're starting you know he's starting to get into the song and what he's going to do to it Andy the bass player says I gotta go We're like where are you going? he says, I, I got the job in the bakery you know if I don't go they're going to fire me so he left and so you know Don Gallucci's like
5: Is "This guy, okay well
4: I, yeah. I played bass in the Kingsman I'll, I'll just play bass yeah. so he plays bass we get a nice little arrangement. He says, "Okay, I'll see you tomorrow." That was it. Never saw him again. Really? Got a letter two weeks later. You know, dropped from the label because of the guy just uh, yeah, yeah flaked out on you. So face. that was that. So we were like, we got to get rid of this guy because you know if we if we beg Sandy to get us another deal, yeah, it's he's not going to want to work with him because you know he's already got us dropped twice. So I mean, not that I mean, maybe if we'd given him a hit. Right off the bat, it wouldn't happen. But. Uh, yeah,
1: but I think I've heard a similar story uh, that my dad told me that he um, he got a you know label interest and the, it's what this whole band was working toward. And then the whole band quit. It's like some people just do it for fun, and they're not like when it gets to that next level, it, they're not really yeah. comfortable with it. Even if yeah. it's on a on a subconscious level, they're not comfortable with it. They, they say, wait. This is this is work now. Wait, I have yeah. to. You yeah, know, it's, it's like fear. Like I have to make this leap and stop what I'm doing. Yeah. Like yeah, like this is what like this is what you've been working towards. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what that this is what you wanted, but some people don't actually want that. They mm-hmm. want to have the oh we hang out, we you know we drink beers, we rehearse and play. Well, a it's gigs. also
4: I mean the people that make it. I think that the like the people that make it really they have a sort of a need to please. Mm-hmm. You just kind of do, and some people don't have that need. And so they can't hang in there, I mean, I know David Roeder kept shooting himself in the foot, you know because you know he'd get somewhere somebody'd be interested, and then he'd do something stupid, and that was that, you know, so you know, and then he then he would do it within his songs where he'd put some ridiculous creepy thing <laughs> Who <is this>? in <laughs> who's this Dave- David Rother. this is another guy that I used to work with a lot he David Roeder was actually. The original singer when uh, Sandy met Don. Okay. Okay. And then I met David, and then shortly thereafter, he went to California to, to be a teacher or something. So,
1: yeah, it's, a, it's, I just, <clears throat> for people, I guess, like you, um, you can't fathom that. It's like, wait, yeah, this is it. Like, yeah. this is what you, this is like what we talked about since we're kids, you know, looking at re- records in our room. Yeah. Like, this is what we want. We're exactly. We're going to have a record, you know, yeah. it, it just, You can't, it doesn't compute that people aren't ready for that level of commitment. I I mean, when
4: you see somebody ready to accept you, Mm -hmm. you just want to deliver it to them. Yeah, you
1: want to give them everything you promised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you like the recording process of your first, is it the first time you ever recorded when you did your first record? No,
4: no, I was recording in high school. I was, you know, we we had, I mean, almost from the very beginning, uh, the bass player in our You know my cousin's cousin. He had a record player in his house, so we recorded everything. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I heard my voice. I couldn't believe it. It was like, (laughs) I sound like that? Oh Oh, my god, that's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I sounded good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So okay, but was it was it different recording? You know, for a commercial label than doing it on your own. Was was the gear different? Was the tech different?
4: Oh, it was, it was kind of just an evolution, you know? I mean, <clears throat> when we started uh, making demos and stuff, like with, with Soft Right on Your Belly and Stock Forest and all that, it was, you know, we didn't have multi-tracks. It yeah. was just, you know, uh, you had a three-track or a two-track. Right. So the original demos were all on two-track. I think when we made the record with uh, Elektra, the second rec- the first record we did in New York... And it was on a, you know, it was a four-track recorder or something. It was very, very crude and basic.
1: What what, what do you put on the tracks in a four-track setup? Do you remember what you did on what? It was
4: vocal, um, bass and drums,
1: and then everything else.
5: Wow.
4: And, uh, oh, well, everything else in stereo or something like that. Okay. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that we only had four tracks. And then we went to California. We also had four tracks. But then, um,
1: what album is this in California now? Or is this that the was this
4: the time? one that came out on Rhino, Saint Cecilia?
1: Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And
4: so that was a four track, mostly live with overdub vocals. We had one tra- track for vocals, and we did the backgrounds with the lead. Oh wow! Yeah.
1: So. So it's got to be got to be right going in. Yeah, though, but we a-
4: we were by then we had practiced a lot. We played, you know, we played all over uh, upstate New York and Pennsylvania, and you know we'd, uh, you know, but then but then after we got dropped, then it was like, we had no gigs whatsoever. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, people, and this is still underbelly, right?
4: This was stuck for us. Forest. Oh, Stark, Stark Forest people, yeah. Okay. We had no gigs and everybody all of a sudden had a girlfriend and <laughs> my girlfriend had a kid and <sighs> <laughs> responsibility. <Our> life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, so right around then, uh, Joe joined the band and he I mean I, I actually you know because Andy said oh you kicked me out because you wanted your brother I actually asked somebody else to join before he, him and the other guy said no I got a gig with a with a uh, all all female band uh. it's a roadie
1: <laughs> I'm getting more tail than I know what to do with so I'm not going to join your dropped uh, label band so no <laughs>
4: that's exactly what happened (laughs) so now was it
1: was it weird playing with your brother or was it no
4: no no no. as soon as he came I'd never played with him playing bass Mm -hmm. you know he's always the lead guitar player Mm -hmm. so um but it wasn't weird no it actually felt great you know because Joe you know we're just on the same page as far as like you know Speed of learning songs, you know, ability to
1: change, ability to read each other. Yeah, it was cool rehearsing with you for the uh, with with the two of you for the Allen tribute show. Like, that, I got to see a little bit of that and like the shorthand. I,
4: you know, I felt bad that Joe didn't, you know, get more involved in mm. this whole thing. You know, when it was because it just would have been great. It would have been great for him too.
1: Oh, with the agents thing, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it would have been so, cool. But you yeah. know, it, we did get to do some cool stuff at the yeah. Allen show. Like, I liked yeah. when. Uh, his idea to say yeah, you should do the first verse of oh, yeah, Hot Rails to Hell. I was like, and I said this rehearsal, they're gonna throw shit at me if they if they know you're in the building, right? right. If they know you're you're standing, you know, oh. ten feet away from my microphone and I'm singing yeah. that song, they're gonna throw shit at me. And he's like, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I was like, okay. You know, the hardcore is always saying,
4: you know, oh, you know, it's not the same without you guys, and of course, you know, of course it's not, but doesn't mean it's not good. I mean, I think though, there's always that element that's going to be like, oh man, you know. And knowing that he was there,
1: yeah, that <laughs> was going to yeah, kill them. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like that was like, wow, you just want to torture these people, don't you? Like, you <laughs> guys, you guys are like, them. you guys are sick. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It was a
5: sick joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's
1: it's okay. Um, when when Eric was on the show, he, he he did a thing saying the reason he hasn't done an album in a few years is because he's been too busy busy playing video games yes. <laughs> said. I said I said you want these people to murder you they're gonna murder you
2: <laughs>
1: oh my god but it was okay with the, at least with the with the uh, the Joe Hot Rails joke it only lasted about 20 seconds right, and right, then he right, came right, out right. and was like okay, okay. there it is oh, okay. alright you're gonna let this asshole sing the song when you're in the building no right, right,
5: right. <laughs>
1: Uh, and so yeah. Another funny thing that happened at the Allen tribute is we did Joan Crawford, and I went, "Oh, this fucking piano part's a pain in the ass." And he's like, "Yeah, I wrote that." I was like, "Yeah, thanks." It's <laughs> 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 like you want to play it. He's like, "You can play it." I'm like, "Oh, great." Um. So okay, now let's let's move forward a little bit in time. Um, Blue Oyster Cult you get signed what label is this is this uh, we were we actually we still kind of
4: Stock Forest right but we uh, um, we as soon as Joe joined the band cause Joe joined the band and we're like we got no gigs man it's like you know we don't have any heat right there's no phone here you know we couldn't pay any bills so he's like I've never been in a band that didn't make money we're gonna make money <laughs> nice and uh, sure enough, you know, within a uh, couple weeks, we had some gigs, and then pretty soon we we're just working all the time. So, like,
1: w- was he doing the bookings, Joe?
4: No, but he was, well, he made us learn all these cover tunes, number one. And number two, I like this Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, but, you know, we did all the songs that all the other bands didn't do. I really like this (laughs) job. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But still, you know, we're playing Beatles and Stones and, you know, Cream and, you know, all of the, you know.
1: Uh, Eric told me a funny story once that you guys were uh, unfortunate enough to be Chuck Berry's backing band for a gig. Yeah. How did you get that gig, though?
4: Sandy Perlman, you know. He knew this guy, uh, oh, God, I blocked his name because he was a obnoxious, but... (laughs) (laughs) He's <laughs> club owner, you know, but he was booking the doors and the birds and right, all this right. stuff. And so Sandy, because of his Stony Brook connection and his crawdaddy and stuff, uh, you know, all, he talked to everybody back then. So you know, he had the inside track. So he got us this gig with uh, Chuck Berry. And so, uh, did Eric tell a story of that? No, he didn't. But you know what? Let me tell my story of it. Can you okay. tell your story. And then okay, we'll- so my story of it is that, uh, and this is, um, so so. We play the first night, right? And we get there at like three in the afternoon. You know, and we set up our stuff, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for. And he's not showing up. And an hour, be- you know, an hour before the doors open, like at six o'clock, he shows up, comes up on stage, and he goes, uh, "Okay, you guys know all my tunes, right?" Everybody knows my songs. We're like, yeah, yeah, we know him, Chuck. you know, you know. Are you gonna do any, you know, anything weird? He's like, no, no, no. And uh, he says, uh, I'm gonna do all the rock and roll songs. He says, uh, listen, drummer, who's the drummer? <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I'm here behind the The drum set. <laughs> yeah. So
1: it stands to reason. Yeah, I'm the
4: drummer. Yeah, yeah. He said, okay. So this is all you need to know is that uh, when I I raise my guitar up and I bring it down like that. That means stop, but keep the beat going in your head. <laughs> say, yeah, we're we're still going. You know, I might not say anything. I might just look around. You know, but you keep that beat going because we're just gonna come right back in. That's I the, said, by the way, that's the best explanation of that I've ever. Heard <laughs> yeah. But keep it going in your head. That's yeah, very- yeah. And then he said, and. When you see me raise my left foot up to, <laughs> over to the side and I'm bring it down, that means wrap it up.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and that was it. And that that was. they awesome. said, "Let's let's try uh, Johnny Be Good." Plays Johnny Be Good. He goes, "Oh, that's good." He goes, "Hey, hey, you want to play a little solo there, guitar guy?" And uh, Don
2: says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah."
4: He says, "Okay." <laughs> okay so, uh, it went pretty well, except that Andy was kind of fumbling around. Mm. But, uh, well, you know, Andy was like, he idolized Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead. So okay. you can imagine a lot of notes right. just all over the place. And Chuck really just wanted to hear the root
1: note. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. As a matter of fact, he said, listen, when you play Memphis, play it like the Johnny Rivers version. Don't play it like my version.
1: <laughs>
4: Just one note for the bass. Dun, 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 dun,
5: dun, dun.
1: You know, what would be interesting. Uh, nowadays, instead of Chuck Berry having a band, you could probably strap a couple of Wiimotes to his uh, <laughs> <laughs> to his legs and his guitar neck, and he can trigger events. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, like have a have a laptop with like Ableton Live on it. Yeah, you go. Know, ch- ch- all, ch- 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 yeah, exactly. Ch- Set the, temp, the tempo on the strings. Yeah. Yep. When he does this with his leg, that's a gesture of you know, you know. Play the ending two bars. Just, just put a you know measure rest in, but yeah. keep the beat going in the computer's <laughs> head.
5: <laughs> yeah, the computer's you, head. you
1: know how many terrified backing musicians you would save from that. I saw, <laughs> I saw Chuck Berry. I brought my binoculars um, at Westbury Music Fair, and. All I was doing was looking at the bass player who looked so scared the whole night. <laughs> I was like, this poor guy, he was like sweating. Like You could tell like he got a talking to before the show from yeah. Chuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't play a lot of notes. Yeah. Don't play my version. <laughs> he got a talking to. You could tell this guy got a talking to. <laughs> he did. He got a talking to. Um, okay, so we, we're... Um, yeah, so so anyway,
4: so Joe came. We, you got we, gigs, cover was, tunes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was not backing up chuck berry and playing with uh you know the grateful dead or whatever but you know we were playing clubs and we we're playing covers and and getting paid and able to at least pay our rent and stuff and then um we got a call we were in pennsylvania and sandy perlman said listen i got an audition at uh up at columbia at the black rock and it was going to be in the conference room 10 o'clock tomorrow morning wow and we had a gig that night so we said okay we played the gig we got done at like one o'clock you know we uh slept for a couple hours and we drove back to the city and uh played in this conference room which was maybe twice as big as this this particular space right here right yeah it's pretty small
0: this is not a particularly big space, guys. Yeah. Everybody uh, and comes in. Watching and says, at home. Wow, yeah. this
2: is
5: small. We
0: make it yeah. every it time. The- you know, people come in to Band Geek and they say, "Wow, this looks a lot bigger yeah. in the videos." Like, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah.
4: Yes, this is uh, this is uh, half a postage stamp size.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so how'd the audition go?
4: It went well. They liked it a lot, and so we got another audition with uh, with Clive Davis. Nice. So. And we were like kind of, oh, geez, I hope we like it, you know, because by the time we've auditioned for Clive, that was the sixth audition we'd done for Columbia. Wow. So we'd done four before this whole other thing happened, but we did it as Soft Right Underbelly, you know, so and it, this is before Joe was in the band. So so that was one one with Joe in the band and then another one with Clive. And we're like, oh, man, I don't know. And so we we show up for the audition, of course. we're Now we're well-rested, and uh, <clears throat> we're thinking, oh, my God, I hope he likes it. you know. And uh, we get there, and there's Clive. There's um, Bo- Bobby Columby, the drummer from Blood, Sweat, and Tears, mm. who I knew from that Chuck Berry gig oh, yeah, uh-huh. where we ended up getting fired. That's a whole other story. <laughs> well, we got fired because... Uh, blood, Sweat, and Tears wanted to sit in with us, and we wouldn't let them use our equipment. Because the <laughs> night before, when we played with Chuck, Jimi Hendrix and Paul Butterfield had come and sat in with B.B. King. And they, they uh, we had two twin reverbs, and we got there, and both twin reverbs were the, the fuses were blown. Ugh. And my hi-hat was destroyed. Jeez. So I I lost a hi hat. We got we luckily it was just a fuse. So yeah. we have changed a fuse. We got that. I had to go out and buy a hi hat from a used from a pawn shop. And uh, so that ne- that night they wanted to, us to let the blood sweat and we said, listen, we'll let them sit in, but not like like last night where nobody talked to us. Yeah. I and mean, you got to come and if you're using my instrument, you talk to me. Right. You asked me yourself, and so I. Bobby came over and he talked to me, and he was really nice. And and I ran into a couple other times. So he was, you know, he was like, he was a cool guy. You know, he told all these stories about like chlamydia
0: and. Yeah. That is not where I thought that was about. S- STDs. <laughs> what? That's wonderful.
4: So yeah, he was cool. He was definitely, you know, you know, the older, older uh, statesman. Statesman, yes, yeah. So giving a, a friendly ad, a, a advice for life on the road. Listen, when you go to the Philippines, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so Make sure that you, yeah. So, so anyway, so sitting there is my buddy Bobby Columpy with Clive Davis, you know. So, oh, that's cool. On the other side of Clive is Patty Smith. Oh. She's already going out with Alan. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. Oh, it looks like a lock. And then there's a guy I don't quite recognize.
1: Looks familiar.
4: Harry Nielsen.
1: So uh Wow, was, was that was that common? They would keep bring other artists in to watch new bands.
4: Hey, he was probably just hanging out with Clive that day, and oh. Clive said, Hey, come on, I'm auditioning in this band. Wow.
0: That's cool.
4: So uh Anyway, they all all really liked it and that was that. We, you know, they uh they said come back in next week and we'll uh drop a contract.
1: Early early BOC stuff is is it's really not like anything else that was going on. Like what what do you think made him like like the band so much? It was just so it was it's so different. Like a lot of times you know, it's like they're looking for genre stuff, like. But I guess that's nowadays what you, what you want. I, things that are the I, same.
4: Clive wasn't like that. I think he was looking for something that was different. Right. And and but good. Right. You know, like and and by that time with Joe and the band, we we'd gotten some polish.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, so we sounded pretty slick. I think. You know, and I don't know. I I think we played Bad Boy. Oh, the Beatles. The songs, Beatles songs. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The one of the covers that they then they were mad when that record came
1: out and they're like where's bad boy <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah so now are, are you still the the underbelly at this point no because now no. It's we were
4: nothing stuff. by then okay we were like we can't be stock forest yeah. you know we played too many rotten clubs under this name and we wanted to come out with something new mm-hmm. so we we it, it, the week after the Clive thing, we went back to the band house and we we're just arguing like crazy, you know, like, what's it going to be? You know, I want Santo sisters, you know? Uh, and <laughs> I think knife wielding scumbags. That <laughs> though, yeah. I, I mean, they were all totally off the, you know, Richie Meltzer's like cow. <laughs> cow. Call themselves cow.
0: <laughs> now,
1: that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. You just reminded me. Um, all these guys that you're hanging out with in the early days ended up, co-writing stuff later yeah. on. Yeah. Um was now is that just how did that how that come about
4: like that well, Richard was just a really talented writer and he would give us these, you know, sheets and sheets of lyrics like tons. I mean, I still have songs that I never uh have have completed of his like uh I'm too old to be too young to die.
2: <laughs> that's one, <laughs> one of his.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah,
4: that's one of his lyrics.
1: I mean, do you how do you now? You write your own lyrics too, like
4: I have in the in the you know recent mm-hmm. past. I mean, in the over the well, I started doing a songwriting course. Oh, cool! And I was using the Berkeley, some of the lessons that I got from Berkeley, and so I would show them kids how to do it, and then I'd end up with a song, and I go, "Hey, that wasn't bad." <laughs> so that's what I do. I, I use just the you know I use the destination writing thing, and I, and it's actually pretty effective.
1: Now, what what is destination writing? Well, that's
4: where you uh, you start with a place. A place. It could be a physical place. It could be a mental place. It could be some sort of place. And you describe the place. And you describe the place with all five senses,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and 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 movement, and put movement in there because movement is kind of a sense too, even though it's not. It's kind of abstract, but. You know, it's like geomet- geometric kind of a deal. So anyway, so you do all of that, and then you then you start to find rhymes, and you you try to put together, and then you'll see like some sort of plot will show up in the middle of it.
1: I'm looking this up. I never heard of this. And this Destination sounds fascinating writing. to me. Yeah,
4: it's it's actually they use it for writing novels and stuff, but huh. uh, it's it, it works for songs too.
0: So it's almost like like stream of consciousness. But with a plan in the beginning. So it's like you start with some kind of idea, but you have no idea how you're gonna get there. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna try that. I mean, there's
4: the other that's that's one that's been the most effective thing that I've done. The other thing is that uh and this is when I when I write with Andy Chernoff, he likes to do this. So he um he just sings, you know, sounds you know, and then you play it back and you kind of try to imagine it, what that sounds like. That's what Mick Jagger does. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty pretty good. It's have pretty good, you, but it written takes songs longer.
0: Like that. What's that? Have you written songs like that? Yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's, what. about you? That's what I do. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's. I love that method. Yeah. Cause I'm. I'm. I, f- I. think like lyrics are are difficult for me, and I'm kind of. I'm not. It's not my strong suit. So. I go for the way the word sounds. I think that's more important to me. Is just the so, yeah. the musical sound. The word ultimately I mean. yeah. Sounds.
4: Ultimately, that's the the most important thing. But that's
0: where it has to end up. Yeah. It has to.
4: But you know, I mean, Donald always says the best songs are story songs. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to harder to come up with a story. You know, it's more like a vibe when yeah. you when you do that sound uh, thing.
1: I kind of like and yeah, I just that that. Berkeley thing is fascinating. I sort of want to try that for a personal assignment. You know, ah. I feel like you just gave me good homework. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and, cool. And and yeah. band geek listeners. I want to hear what you guys write too with this Berkeley assignment. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool concept have band
0: yeah, geek to listeners. To start with the, the
4: destination. and Oh, and, and so you describe it with the five senses plus movement. Yeah. And then you do internal and external, like how it looks on the outside and how it feels on the inside. And that's so that huh. becomes another layer of description, and so now you've got this bit. You've now you've painted this picture, and you uh, you just it's easy.
1: It's it, actually pretty and that easy. like that forces you to be descriptive, and it, it, yeah, yeah. It's cool,
4: yeah.
0: And then at the end, you could always take out what's weak. Oh and yeah, change no, you things. you end You're up taking out anything. like most. Of you know, it,
4: yeah. you end up with this you know three sheets of mu- yeah. of of lyric, and then you just take it down to. You know, your four paragraphs.
2: Yeah.
1: What I find
4: when... In four stanzas. I,
1: I always, I mean, my, my songwriting is not like the, the thing I, I do a lot anymore. But when I, when I do write songs, I find that um, I'll start with this kernel of an idea that I'll base everything off of. And then by the time I'm done, I take that kernel out. <laughs> like that's, that, that ends up being the weak thing in the song. Like I'll start with like a little riff or a lyrical idea or something, and I'll build the whole song off this like foundation. And then I realize everything I wrote after that initial idea was better than that, and I get rid of that. And that's yeah. it's just well, that's weird. that's fine. Yeah. yeah, but that, that and, it was that,
0: inspiration. That kernel was the inspiration. Yeah, that ends like up
1: happening to that me a kernel lot.
4: Kernel is the.
2: Uh... Oh, I forget. No. Go ahead, Andy. Let's see what you are gonna say. <laughs>
0: Let's
4: hear it. The kernel is the stand to put the canvas on. And then you
1: paint the picture. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that was a
0: wonderful. Why didn't you want to say that? That was wonderful.
5: Yeah. That
0: was so, lovely. Yeah.
1: Um, Good job, Andy. Do you find it's? Do you, I mean, do, it sounds like you enjoy writing lyrics now because yeah. you're really getting into it and researching it. Yeah. Um, but it. But you know, you also. How comfortable are you with taking someone else's words? Is, is it ever weird to sing someone else's words, or do you do you, like if if you get like aside from like the gender swap we talked about cause, you know <laughs> back back then maybe that wasn't wasn't so kosher yeah. but um, I would do it now though yeah now who cares but um <laughs> you know aside from that would you when someone would give you lyrics would you take them and be like I don't want to sing that I don't want to sing that or would you just sort of be true to them and try to st- stick to them as much as possible
4: oh nah I, I when people give me lyrics uh if if I get a feel from it like, oh, I think I can do something with this, then then I have to make sure that I can change it because mm-hmm. I can't just do it. I right. I just have to make it my own. Right. If I get, like, for instance, the, my latest thing that I've been doing, working on, I'm trying to get Eric involved in it, and uh, this is this Michael Moorcock. Mm-hmm. There's a book that he wrote called uh, An Alien Heat. And so... This other the spirits burning organization, they're they're doing a whole album based upon this one book. So they gave me certain chapters to to write songs for.
1: Wow, is it sci-fi? Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. Oh yeah, yeah.
4: That's it's really cool. cool. <laughs> I like oh. this idea. Oh, you want to get involved? <laughs>
1: Hell yeah, man! That sounds <laughs>
5: okay. awesome.
4: Okay. <laughs> you know, I, why well, I did not this is totally logical that we <laughs> want to do this okay okay so yeah we gotta yeah I, uh, yeah yeah so they I They. I. I have two more so I've wrote, written four so yeah. far I have two more to write so
1: so it's like a concept album based on a novel like sort of thing yeah. or yep
0: oh. Oh, I love those. Have you ever... There's this album Poe did that was based off this book called um, House of Leaves. Her brother wrote it. Yeah, her brother wrote it. Uh, Mark Danielewski, I think. And the whole album is pretty much like, just like little vignettes from the the novel. And those are always so interesting because you can go both ways. It's like when you have a TV show and then you read the books after the fact or before the fact, you're like, whoa. This is what you're going for? Whoa. Well,
4: what I did was I just took the words directly out of the book and then i filled in my own lyrics and then after that i ended up trimming everything but so it's got some of the actual lyrics in the book and then you know a lot of what i wrote
1: musically are you going for like a sci-fi mood
4: hm uh well uh, th- th- the band is associated with hawkwind so it's yeah hawkwindish
1: okay. right okay yeah Interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, yeah. I'll send you we'll, some we'll stuff. We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah. We, we, we have a nice long car ride after this, so we can talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to, uh, I guess I'm going to start wrapping things up because I've kept you here for quite a long time, but um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions just to uh, things things that, that, you know, I've been dying to ask. Okay, sure. Um, Go ahead. So sure. what's, what's your favorite BOC song that you've written? Like, what's the one know. that you listen to and you're like, yeah. Or I- even the one that just came out the best that you think, like, from from inception to execution, this is the one that we just nailed it.
4: Well, I, I liked how uh, Re- uh, Vera Gemini came out. Mm-hmm. I liked how... That was one song that came out even better than I imagined it.
1: That's a great thing when it happens. <laughs> I mean, a lot
4: of the songs, uh, I felt a little slightly disappointed. I mean, popular songs, I'm not even going to say what they are mm-hmm. because... Uh, I just sound like an
5: ass. <laughs> but well, you've come to the right place, sir. You sound like an ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but
4: uh, I, I also loved how astronomy came out. Mm-hmm. Astronomy is—I I would say astronomy is—you know—but which versions? Oh, I, I don't know. Any version. Okay. Any version. I just—I'm—I'm I'm really happy with how that song came out. It—it it started as a Joe song, mm-hmm. and it just. And it sort of laid there. I thought it was very pretty. It was like this pretty little kind of uh, medieval kind of melody. Uh-huh. You, know? you know, it's like it's kind of like you know you might hear it in uh, you know Renaissance or you know one of those groups you know a Fairport Convention or something. Right. But but then I got a hold of it, and it's it we it, he wrote it for. Um, Tyranny and Mutation, our second record, but it didn't come out until Secret Treaties because it just sat there. We couldn't do anything with it, and so I was sitting around one day, and I was feeling um, very upset and sad. You know, I I just gotten dumped, and you know, I was like, oh. And and so I started working on it, and I put this. I think what I feel is kind of an emotional. Uh, segment to the song so it starts out with this pretty kind of like setting the scene and then it gets into the you know when it speeds up and goes through the you know into mm-hmm. the middle section and the end ending section and all of that it's all like more emo- you know as you feel the yeah, emotion the,
1: amp ha- the, the song is a ramp
5: up
4: which yeah is nice. and i see it whenever we perform it i yeah. see how the, the people are like
3: oh yeah
4: that's yeah. A, that's the song but they don't really and then when you're going astronomy you know it's like they're like ah Ha! Yeah. You know, everybody wants to sing along with that. Uh huh. Yeah. So, but, uh,
1: uh,
4: you know, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like trying to help Joe finish the song.
1: Now, do you have a writing credit on that one? Yeah. Okay. So I did to know that. Um, so now here's another question: What is your favorite cover of one of your songs?
5: Ooh. ooh.
4: Oh man. I, I'd have to say same song. Metallica. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
5: Um, yeah, that's a pretty good one. I yeah. love their it's, <laughs> version. It's hard not to play it like that. That's my favorite V.O.C.
0: song, and I heard—I think I heard it first from Metallica, and I was like, "What is this? This is awesome! This is so awesome!" And then I realized it wasn't theirs. So I was like, "This is more awesome! This yeah. is more awesome! I love this." Here's
1: another question: What's your favorite drum, perf- like recorded drum performance, oh, where you just like, "I like it." Could it could be live? It could be in the studio. Where you're just like, "I fucking nailed that!" And that's. This is the, when I want people to think of how Albert Bouchard plays drums, this is it.
4: Well, I don't know that I've ever, you know, I'm just, you know, I played to the song, mm-hmm. so. Uh,
1: but there's chopsy stuff in all those songs, yeah. all those
4: recordings. But I I, I, I really liked how, uh, well, there's two songs that I really liked how the drum part came out. One is A Great oh. Sun Jester, mm-hmm. and the other is Burning For You.
1: I love the Burning For You drum part. Yeah. It's so creative. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, you it know, just felt like really good when I was doing. I was like, yeah. Can yeah, I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Um, you on in the verse, you go to the ride. Yeah. What made you want to do that? Because it's it sounds like a stupid question, but every like pop song ever, the verse is on the hi hat, closed hi hat. The uh, verse, like what, uh, like and and the ride just opens the whole thing up so much. Yeah. Like what, where'd you get that idea to do that? Reaper. Reaper,
4: yeah, huh. I use the same ride. Although in Reaper, I'm only using it on the chorus.
1: Right, right. Because then, yeah. when it goes to the ascension for you, go... then you close the yeah. hi hat. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I'm as a guitar player, I sh- I really shouldn't be, but I'm so sensitive to when to what the drummer is playing on the ride or the uh, the hi hat. And yeah. we did a gig where John Michelli subbed for, subbed for Jules, yeah. and we were doing "Burnin' for You," and he played the verse and the hi hat, and I was like, oh, b- before the gig, he told me this. He said, listen. I know you know these songs really well so if you hear anything that I'm doing wrong let me know I said okay so we start playing "Burn For You and he's playing it on the hi-hat right <laughs> and I said I said I said John you know the verse it's got to be on the ride he's like listen you can tell me about arrangement and you can tell me about like things I'm playing wrong but you don't have to tell me where I'm supposed to play the ride and <laughs> the <hi-hat. laughs>
3: and, then, and then, And
1: then when we do it, uh, when we did it on the podcast, if you watch that version, he keeps switching from the ride to the hi-hat in the verse like in the middle of it just to piss me off. And he's like, and, and, yeah, and he doesn't want to like, upset you yeah, too much. And, 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 he's, and he's looking at me and like, like laughing at me yeah, as he's right. like doing it. Yeah, see, what I, see? I can do it both. <laughs> but also like, you know, I, see, I am I respond to that but the like, what? where'd that come from? That's so crazy. And that's like, you know...
4: Don wanted that. Really? But yeah, Don said, why don't you play like a white boy beat? <laughs> and then some Tom Toms. So I did. I said, okay, how about like this? And he's like, well, no, no. You know, he actually sort of arranged it, hmm. you know. It was really... In the studio,
1: We record, it was just me, Joe, and Don. Oh, wow.
4: Yeah, the other guys weren't even there.
1: And also... Uh, I mean, that's that's my favorite Blue Oyster Cult album. I mean, just... the, the Obviously, there's a lot of great material on the previous albums, but um, that's Fire of Unknown Origin, right? Virgin. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that album for the sounds. Like, production-wise, that album is just slamming. The drum sound of that is so good.
4: Oh, I that was a amazing learning experience because I was there for every second. Tell me. Tell me about it. Okay, so what happened was... Uh, uh I was once again the sad sack I was <laughs> breaking up with my wife, and my girlfriend was out in California, and she was who knows what she was doing but uh so I was by myself in this big house, and we were supposed to make the record, and we wanted martin Birch and because he made Cultasaurus and I thought, man, that's finally we're getting to sound like a a real rock band right. Because before that, I always thought we sounded like an imitation rock band, you know, as opposed to like Aerosmith, who, you know, I always felt like those guys couldn't play half as good as us, but they sounded twice as good.
1: Those records sound do sound <sighs> great. Wow. Yeah. Also, Martin Birch did all the Iron Maiden albums, which sound yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. But- yeah.
4: Exactly. Yeah. So we had this guy, and so I wanted him to do this next record because mm-hmm. oh, Don had written "Burnin' for You" for for Cultasaurus, and. I felt, and I convinced the others that it wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. It was it just needed something more. It just wasn't, you know, it was a good song. What he did with it, he he put a good melody. It was memorable and stuff. But I just felt like I, I just wasn't sure it would be a hit. Mm-hmm. I said, no, nah, Don, you got to got to come up with something else, man. And he kept all mad. He's like, what? You know, <laughs> yeah, This is great. What are you talking about? And then, so then he comes in the next year and it's like, boom, da da, 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 You know, and I'm like, holy crap. Okay, <laughs> that's what I was that's, talking yeah. about. That's what I was talking about. Just to make sure that people know yeah. that this is a hit.
1: And, this is a rock, and a rock band playing a hit. Yeah, a
4: rock band playing what a hit. What
0: changed about the song? So like the well, main the riff arrangement. Sang, just yeah. like,
4: the arrangement. All he had was the those verses in the chorus, and he didn't. And the chorus was just uh, like A G F. There no. was no Dan in Yeah, he didn't none that. of that. Yeah,
1: the, yeah. So he, oh, he wow. really, it's, it, he he almost produced it. Like,
4: yeah, yeah. He it, really rocked. That's it up. really
1: hard to hear. I mean, I I experienced it with Anne Marie on a daily basis. Um, when bad. no, no, when you're when you're doing something and it's not at the level where it should be. Yeah. And someone tells you like, "Hey, you need to do this better," and you're like. Fuck you! You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, this, yeah. Is, this is the way I want yeah,
4: to do it. This is the
5: way it should be. Yeah,
4: that's but- yeah. That, and and the next, and I said, Don, that's really great. And he's like, It's the same. <laughs>
5: it's the same. I
4: didn't do anything different. Just the intro. I'm like, Nah, man. That's what I was looking
1: for. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's hard to take criticism like that, especially when the person's right. You know well, what I
0: mean? It's hard when. It's- is that on, buzzing.
1: Boys, are you buzzing? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Name that movie.
0: Calling somebody's
4: calling me. It's okay.
1: Um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to take criticism, and it's even harder to take criticism when the person's right <laughs> <laughs> who's giving you the criticism. <laughs> it's, it, it's very, it's like, you know, Amory's always right, and she's like, you know, when you I'd do like this, so. when you, like, she'll give me, like, songwriting tips or even really? tips on a guitar solo or singing tips, and she's like, you know, when you do this, she's really, and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this for longer than you. And then I'll think about yeah. it. I'm like, damn it, she's right. I uh, know I have to do it. I'm so fights it. ensue,
0: right. and then two days later, I hear him doing what I asked him. So uh, i not not him; just, you know, like, hey. Well, it takes a while. Idea. It
1: does. To
4: no, when you're writing
0: out. something, you, you it's, it's a very personal thing, you know, you know?
5: Well,
4: the thing is that I left the band right after that, mm-hmm. right after that record. And I think part of it was that I was, you know, I was really insisting that, you know, certain things be, the, you know, I was really insisting that this has got to be better and, yeah. you know, and really, and, uh, and it's, it, it kind of hurt my feelings, you know, cause I saw in an interview right after that, like a couple months after I was out of the band, Joe said, oh yeah, you know, having Albert out of the band, it's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I was doing to those guys. I was like really hounding them. You know, because I re- I wanted a hit, I wanted a fucking hit.
1: Yeah, but you know what? It's almost like, like sort of like what McCartney did to the Beatles. Like, they they all couldn't stand him, but they needed him there because because so- someone had to do it. You yeah. know, it's like, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Yeah. You know? Well,
4: I I've been a lot more careful about uh, how I offer my suggestions.
1: <laughs> it's tough because you know yeah. there's a lot of yeah. It's it's like yeah. being married to four of the people. Yeah, you got to be. Yeah. You know,
4: I I think I to their defense, I I probably wasn't being as sensitive as I should have been. Mm. You know, and especially working in the school with young people, and you know their egos are right on the edge there. So, you know, you got to learn how to be more diplomatic.
1: Yeah, it, it's yeah. It, you know, and also I find there's like a thing when you get. A certain level of comfort with people. Yeah, you feel like nothing you say can hurt them. Yeah, and then you don't. And then you realize, wait a minute, the you know, that's not true. Like even though this person's like you know a brother to me, you can say shit that you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Andy, you know, leaves here complaining about me every week. But like I've known I know, I him for so long, I feel true, like I, do I? No. I, I, I no! But I feel like you know Andy's like my brother, and I can like just like say shit. And when something Andy has
3: no feelings.
0: It's right. <laughs> Andy's
1: like pretty much command data on the show. I'm he just, just he happy just, to be here. He, he has
4: he shows no he shows no emotion. Just and he just points out when someone's using the right an inversion. I'm be
0: here,
1: guys. No, but I know. I, no,
4: but you'll never be kicked out of band. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like after, after you've like developed this sort of like shorthand with someone, you forget that you can go over the line. It's like you think like nothing. Like we were just talking about the most heinous shit. Like how can something I'm saying you know hurt hurt your feelings or, or give you like a weird reaction? So oh,
0: that's any relationship, band or otherwise. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's just how it is when you get comfortable with a person.
1: Now, so, so Martin Birch was awesome to work with. Oh, yeah. yeah he, and uh, I mean, I would say,
4: you know, I think we should put some compression on the, on the uh, bass drum. But like, what? Compression on the bass drum? You're going to kill the attack. So I don't know. Isn't there a way to do it where you don't do He said, well, we could sidechain it. So like they had, I think, 12 1176s there at Kingdom Sound. We used them all. <laughs> we used them all. Yeah. So everything had compression, at least on the side chain.
1: It just sounded so. That record sounds so good. Oh, yeah. I love that record. I mean, that's what it is. A lot of the fans they think the, um, it, the third album is is the best one. Yeah, uh, and and yes, the tunes are awesome. The yeah. playing's awesome on right. it. But right. you know, as I get more and more into my head as like a producer, I I want to hear good sounds, and that would, album just has good yeah. sounds.
4: I would love to hear that third album remixed by Martin Birch. Oh yeah. Know? or or me <laughs> <laughs> how, like like martin birch would do it
1: how um now you recorded your own last album right yeah yeah so you what do you, what's your studio like
4: <laughs> i didn't have a studio i i uh i started it in this um this housing that i was telling you about yeah <laughs> the 800 hundred
1: dollar apartment yes <laughs> No, do so, no, you have like a, a computer and you? Use yeah, I a, just had a, a,
4: a you know MacBook Mac Pro and. Uh, what
1: software do you use to record onto? Uh, I use Logic. Okay, cool.
4: I use Logic. I had one of those Apollo UA Apollo interfaces. That's
1: all you need. Yeah, <laughs>
4: and I I used a TLM 103. I had
1: I had that. Uh, so what he's saying is he has better stuff than we do down here. That's what he's uh, saying. Well, now I do. Now I've got
2: a U87. So. Oh.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and Al- Albert also has nicer guitars than me, I found
2: out.
1: <laughs> he has a nice uh sir guitar that's that's very nice and he has a nicer jacket than me. He has he's, he's, he's wearing a nicer he's wearing, jacket yeah. than anyone yeah. in yeah, this room he's, he's wearing probably the coolest leather jacket I've ever seen today. <laughs> <laughs> and it
4: was just for you. Thank you.
1: Oh, one more question. Do, do you remember what drum set you used on um on Fire of Unknown Origin?
4: Yeah, uh, well I you all the studio albums, I used the same drum set. When, I what I still have. It's a Premiere. Okay. Premiere that I got. I Wait, bought it so from Eric is, Bloom.
1: That's the same drum set as Tyranny Mutation?
4: Yeah.
2: How?
3: Well, <laughs> the, the, okay, so so
4: it only had one rack tom okay. and one floor tom. Mm-hmm. The rack tom was uh, a third... I think it was like a 14 inch by eight. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird... Large snare drum thing <laughs> with no snare, you know, and then and then the tom tom was a 16 by 16, okay, big ass, big ass tom tom. And but for uh for, for um secret treaties, that one I had uh, a couple Ludwig toms that I it, augmented it with, and I had a 14 by 14 Slingerland, okay, um. Floor tom, and symbols. so I had.
1: What about cymbals?
4: Okay, I've always had Zildjian symbols, cymbals, except. Uh, I I tried out a pasty mm-hmm. for, uh, flaming telepaths, and so you I'm and I'm playing the backbeat on the chorus yeah. on the on the crash symbol, and that is the sound of a pasty cymbal deconstructing. <laughs> you heard it here I think that that, it, that was the take where the cymbal was like had a huge crack in <laughs> yeah. So uh and, and I also played a pasty uh, on Reaper and Burn for You and Morning Final. It's that sound. It's oh, a man. flat ride, so there's no bell. Mm. And it has a very... Very
2: sticky.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very sticky. Exactly. I, I feel like that's one of the coolest things that we've ever learned here on the show. Like we know, n- now, you know what kind of ride to get the, the hit. Yeah. S- the hit yeah. Sound. Now they all
4: make them. They all make the flat ride. That's a flat ride, dude. Yeah. Is yeah. your mind? So, my mind's blown right now. I don't know about you, but my yeah. mind is so, fucking blown. Yeah, John Michelli would not know that. No, John. No, because no, his on the ride I- would he's sound like I- ding ding
1: yeah. It'd be too.
4: It'd be too too, too much belly. in your face.
1: Yeah. You know? so, wow. Yeah. Okay, my mind's blown for today. And, and now and now to I I feel like there's a, like hours of more stuff we yeah. Can talk yeah. About.
4: There could be a part 2 podcast yeah. just about what Martin Birch did on that record.
1: W- will you come back? Yeah, sure. Oh,
3: yes. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first.
1: So, I want to thank our very special guest Albert Bouchard for being thank awesome you. today and
3: sharing all these stories. This
1: thank was you. this was a real real treat. Uh, joining me today was Andy Escalise, who's yeah, going yeah. to play his lead guitar debut. Yeah, oh, wow. Andy, actually, actually, no, you played you, play, you play a little lead guitar on uh, the duel, of the fates. We did that, I did. but this but is but your
0: yeah. But everybody played lead guitar. I played 50 lead guitar. guitar, but this is
1: Andy's. Andy's playing a solo. I'm I'm gonna Andy's gonna just take the solo this time, like a man. It.
0: Take it like a man. Uh, Take it like a man.
1: On bass (laughs) and vocals. My wife, Anne-Marie.
0: Hi. Hi and bye. K-M-A-R-E-N. Bye.
1: Um, As soon as we start rolling... The cameras, Brandy's going to run upstairs, so
3: Brandy attacks <laughs> us. <Texas. laughs> Bye-bye, everybody.
0: We <laughs> so, so swear she exists. She exists. Woo, Brandy.
1: Uh, I'll be playing guitar and singing this one because I thought you were going to sing this one. I'll, Albert, help but yeah. <laughs> I'll help you out. I'll
0: help you out. I'll help you out.
1: But to to go with the theme of this episode, here is another drug song <laughs> that Albert picked. So if you're wondering what <laughs> who picked it, Albert picked it.
4: Why'd you uh, pick
0: this song? Because I like this song a lot.
1: Uh, you know what
4: I? Uh, I've never played a Weezer song, and I thought, uh, you know, I just got to play a Weezer song. So I was riding down the Pacific Coast Highway with Andy Shernoff and Lisa, and uh, I said, "Come on, what's some Weezer song?" So Andy said, "I'll put on some Weezer." Yeah. So, you know, he put on like a Best of Weezer or something, and I heard about five songs, and I said, "Oh, I want to do that one. That one. What's it called? Hash Oh, good.
1: This is probably this is probably Fits my
4: favorite one. So,
0: you you might dig Pinkerton too." If you, like, go back a little bit. Yeah, further. yeah.
1: Well, I only
4: listen to about five songs. Yeah, this you might take
0: but... that album, though. It's cool. It's got a lot of fun drum stuff on it.
1: So this is, a, this is a, uh, an episode of Firsts. We did our first Clash song earlier, and now yeah. we're going to do our first Weezer song. Yeah. So enjoy Hashpipe. <laughs> uh, I'm Richie Castellano. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Albert. Thank you. Woo! Okay, here we go. One.